Last week we started a mini-series. And you all know with me, mini-series tend to become growing series because I can't do anything in the time frame. We all understand that. But um, let me just give you this verse that we looked at last week, and we'll lay a quick foundation for what I have for you today. Isaiah 28, 16, beautiful verse, prophesied 700 years before Jesus came, referring to Jesus as our rock and our foundation. So, th uh, so this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts in him will never be, put to, uh, never be dismayed. So what kind of stone is the Lord? Number one, the Lord's a tested stone. Others have tested him and proven him to be true. I have proven him to be true. How many of you have proven him to be true? If he's been, if he's been true in your past, if he's true in your present, he'll be true in your future. Number two, the Lord's a precious stone. Heavenly Father gave his best, he gave his son. How many have children and you wouldn't give them to anybody? And they're not perfect, right? And they mess up and you're not perfect and you mess up, but you wouldn't give them to anybody. The Heavenly Father gave his most valuable possession when he gave his son for us. He's a precious stone. The Lord's the cornerstone, number three. Only he's worthy of glory. When you think about a cornerstone, you think about the stone that is set in a prominent position and we know who it was built for the glory of. But you need to remind yourself at the time that this was written, the cornerstone set the size of the structure. So it wasn't just, for, uh, the, just to acknowledge the glory, even though that is part of it, but it also determines the size. How many you know that God's the one that builds the church? He's the one that has established how, how big his church is going to be. So what's amazing is our God, our Christ, is the stone, the foundation of this thing. He's tested. He's proven. He's valuable. He's the cornerstone. He's worthy of all the glory. We can trust him. But transition happens as we move into the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20 says this, Consequently, because of everything that Christ has done, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. Now remember, this was written to Gentile followers of Christ, and so they had always viewed the Israelites as God's chosen people, and we all know that God chose Israel, but now because of the work of Jesus, the door has been opened, so it's not just the Jews that are God's children. Anyone that responds by faith to Christ, we are God's children. So we're no longer foreigners and strangers, but we're fellow citizens with God's people. We have the same authority they do, the same rights that they do, okay? We've been given all of that, and we're also members of his household built on the foundation. Oh, look at this. Now we're not just talking about the foundation of Christ, but we're talking about the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus himself, obviously, is the chief cornerstone of this structure, the Greek word for apostle is apostolos. Apostolos, it means one that is sent. I remember when I was younger in the faith and I would read this Paul's letters and I always assumed that he was so boastful by the way that he opened up his letters. But honestly, it's just a lack of understanding of the Greek language that causes me to say that. Now, I know there's sometimes he's funny in his writings, but when he would start a letter by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, it was read more, Paul, once sent from Christ Jesus by his will. I was sent here. Beth and I were sent to establish a church in O'Fallon, Missouri. It's an apostolic gift. So don't let the word apostle freak you out. You, you don't work your way into apostleship. 
It's not that, you know, after you've been a teacher for a while, eventually you can be a pastor, maybe an evangelist. You might operate in a prophetic capacity. There are very few apostles. I've heard a pastor that was heavily influential in my life. He said, all the years of ministry, I have only met one that I would consider to be an apostle. They're not superstars. Paul was actually killing Christians. He had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus that changed his life. And God said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Let me say it this way. You're going to be an apostolos to the Gentiles. So when Paul writes his letters and says, I'm an apostle of Christ, he's just like, I've been sent by Christ. Have you ever walked into a house and you knew you had been sent by Christ? Walked into a divine, you're like, oh, the Lord sent me for this one. I'm supposed to, that's apostolic. You have been sent by the Lord. So we're built on the foundation of those that have been sent and those that have prophesied. How many know that scripture says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? Come on, when we're prophesying, it is giving honor and glory to Jesus. Now with this said, Old Testament, 700 years ago, the Lord is tested, he's tried, he's precious. You can trust in him. Now, after the resurrection, we see that we're a part of this same foundation. How many of you want your children to build on your shoulders? We're lifting them up to do even greater things than we've been able to do. Look what the author of Hebrews says in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3. He says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Now remember, he wrote, this letter is just simply entitled the letter to the Hebrews. These are the Hebrews that have accepted Christ. These are Jews that are now followers of Christ, but they're still so caught up in the ways of Judaism. They basically worshipped Moses as being a superstar. They focused heavily on Joshua and on angels and on the high priest. And all throughout Hebrews you hear, you know what? Joshua was a great leader, but Jesus is a better leader. Angels are fantastic, but Jesus is better. There's a Sabbath day's rest in the promised land, but we get a rest from Christ that nobody can take away. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Who's God's house? We are. We're the house of God. So with that said, how about that? I did 30 minutes worth of introduction in seven minutes. With that said, if we're the foundation and if we're the house, what kind of house is Faith Chapel supposed to be? We're in a series on foundations. What do we want people to know, experience, participate in when they walk into Faith Chapel? I'm a spiritual house. Everywhere I go, I house the Holy Spirit. How about you? Everywhere you go, you house the Holy Spirit. But when we come together, we also together house the Holy Spirit. What do you want people to walk into when they walk into us? Well, I want us to be friendly. And I hope our, our coffee's not bitter. Okay, and I hope people at the Welcome Center have a nice smile, and we want that, and I'm not mocking it, because I don't like bitter coffee. Anybody else? I'm not a big Charbucks fan, okay? I, 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 like, I like other coffees, Kona coffee. That'll change your world right there. I'm telling you right now, it'll change your life. I want the coffee to be good. I want the place to look good. I don't like it when we have nicks on the wall. I, I want to be a good representation of Christ. How many know that it's okay to be professional and still love Jesus? So I like things to look nice for people when they come in. But when I'm talking about that, I'm about the house we are, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our values. 
And I think I can get two of these done because these are the ones that Kim and Tony, Tony Lee need. Okay, number one. And I can only say that because I went to school with them. Much, much later, I was a younger classman. <laughs> Don't show him the picture. Don't show him the picture. Tony Lee's husband is one of my best friends. We met on the corner of 910 Elliott Avenue South in August of 1987. And uh, just one of my dearest friends that I never get to talk to. How many of you have pe people that are your dearest friends, whether you talk to them or not? Yeah. I, it just, it's amazing. So, all right, number one, we value God's presence. And I have to pause when I say it. Because I literally sense him when I say it. We value God's presence. I'm glad you're here. But I'm more glad that he's here. And I gotta be honest with you, if next Sunday, if you weren't here, I'd be like, oh, I must have done something wrong. But he would still be here. And honestly, it wouldn't freak me out as much as you would think it would if he was here and you weren't. Because he's got everything under control. Adam and Eve were created to walk with him and know, with, know him. When you start reading the genealogies and you read about these numbers and you're like, how did they live that long? My goodness, their food didn't even have preservatives, you know? How did they make it that long? And some of you will catch that tomorrow. That's okay. 400 years, 600 years, 700 years, and then there's Enoch. Oh, how come he only got, what was it, 365 or 300, what, something like that? How come he only got that many? And it says in Scripture that he was no more because God took him. That one day, Enoch and the Lord were just walking along, and I've kind of envisioned the Lord just looking at him and saying, hey, son, you're closer to my house today than yours. Why don't you just walk on home with me? How I many know once you get home with him, you don't want to leave? His presence messes you up. Beth, we've had resurrection miracles at this church. We all know the John Smith story. Not many of you know the Blake story. Years before that, a young man that his family attended our church, and he fell off the back of a horse, and when he fell, the horse kicked him in the head. He was dead when he hit the ground. How many were here? You remember? His mom tried to resuscitate him, tried CPR, did everything that she could do, and it wasn't working, so she said, Jesus, give him back, and he started breathing. I remember when Pastor Josh and I went down to Children's Hospital. He started breathing, but he hadn't opened his eyes yet. He hadn't moved. There was no brain activity, and we walked into that room, and we carried the presence of Jesus in with us. You could feel the Lord. And as soon as we walked in the room, this young man that hadn't moved, or all of a sudden his eyes were twitching and he was starting to move. There was another young man that was in the bed next to him that had been in a coma for two weeks. As we prayed for Blake, the Lord's presence filled the room. The next morning, the young man that had been in a coma for two weeks was sitting up playing a Game Boy when they walked into the room that morning. Lord completely brought him resurrection life, resurrection king that we serve. I want you to know right now, though, if Beth dies this year, we won't be getting her back. And it's not because I've, I've got a replacement lined up. There's nothing going on there. She's told me if I die and I'm in the presence of Jesus, don't you dare pray for resurrection life. I'll, the girls and I be down here, Lord! Send her back. She's up there going, I'm not going. I am not going. <laughs> How many would have a hard time coming back once you've seen the king? Let's host the king. Let's host the king. 
Let's host the king in such a way in, in, in this house that when people walk in, oppression breaks off of them. Diseases are healed. Let's just host him in such a way. We're not focused on all that. We're just so focused on him that out of the overflow of his presence, the things that are needed are done. Look in Exodus 33, 12 through 14. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you're going to send with me. You've said, I know you by name and you found favor with me. Well, if that's true, <laughs> if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I can know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses, where are you getting ready to go? Into the wilderness. How long are you going to be there? For 40 years. Are there any natural resources to take care of the people? No. You're going to be working your tail off. No. Because his presence is going with me and he's going to give me rest. And I can walk through the wilderness. I can walk through the trial. I can walk through the fire. And if I walk in the presence of God, I will walk in rest and I will be blessed. I want the presence of the Lord. Think about it. If we were created to live in the tangible presence of God, and we are, it would be foolish to settle for anything less, which is everything else. Everything that isn't him is less than him. I want him. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to recognize the whisper of his voice in a room when everybody else is in chaos. I want to know him. How about you? His presence will change everything. Number two, one moment in God's presence can change everything. I believe it with everything in me. John 11 says, Lord, says Martha to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I love this. There's no bitterness in Martha. And by the way, look at Martha. Martha, that we always can, uh, accuse of being too busy and too worried. When Jesus was walking into Bethany, who ran out to go meet him? It was Martha. Martha ran out to go meet him. And she didn't run out bitter. You let me down. My brother died. He's one of your best friends. You never even showed up. That could have happened. Could have happened. I get it. I've got a buddy who carries a great healing anointing. Hospital visitation is difficult for him. Because if he doesn't make it to every hospital visitation, everybody gets mad at him because they know he carries a healing anointing. And I get it. How many know if you're sick and you're hurting, you want somebody with a healing anointing praying over you? But how many know you can't be the only person in the house with a healing anointing? He's never going to prepare a message. He's never going to lead a group if he's only going to the hospital. We need God's people walking with what God's already given them. And we already carry the presence of the Lord. You don't need the pastor to walk into the hospital room. Any one of us carry the presence of the Lord into that place. I'm so thankful that Martha wasn't bitter. Lord, if you'd have been here, it wouldn't happen this way. She knew that. But she also knew something else. It doesn't matter what's happened. Because even now, I know God will give you whatever you ask for. She knew Jesus could raise her brother from the dead after four days, and he did. How about Matthew 9? Just then, a woman had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, came behind him, touched the edge of his cloak. I love this story. Edge of the cloak. God bless you, ladies. We love you. Do we love Tony Lee and Kim? We love them. We bless you. Hug my buddy Cully. I miss him. Touch the edge of his cloak. Now, I love this. There's such a statement of faith in this. When we think of the edge of the cloak, we just think of their robes and their garments. But what we fail to recognize 
is that there is actually the edge of the cloak was referring to the prayer shawl that Jesus wore as a rabbi. And did you know, have you read the scripture in the Old Testament? I think it's in Malachi where it says that the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his what? Wings. Have you ever read that one? You ever wondered about that? You're like, does Jesus have wings? Okay, what do you mean the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings? The rabbis referred to the corners of the prayer shawl as the wings. It's where the seat seats hang down. Have you ever seen the, the, the cords that hang down from the prayer shawl? When I was flying to, to Minneapolis this week, there was a, an ascetic Jew that got on the, the, he had his prayer shawl on when he got on the plane, and the, you see all these cords hanging down. And I, man, I, you can't even imagine the visuals that were going through my mind when he came in. I'm like, oh, I want to introduce you to your Messiah. Let me grab the corner of that garment and tell you who he is. Because they believed, they believed that when the Messiah came, that from the corner of his prayer shawl, healing would be given. So when it says that she grabbed the edge of his cloak, she grabbed the corner that, where she knew if he's really the Messiah, I'll be healed. Because when the Messiah comes, there is healing in his wings. She grabbed it and the Lord responds. He says, hey, take heart, heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. What was her faith in? Her faith was in his Messiahship. She was declaring he is the Messiah and because he is, healing is mine. And I want you to know, because he is the Messiah, healing is ours. It's a gift that's been promised to us. One moment in his presence can change everything. How about Matthew chapter 20? Love this passage. Jesus stopped and he calls out, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. This is an incredible story. Jesus and the whole entourage that was with him, they were walking into Jericho. Now, if you remember anything about Jericho, you remember that Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, right? Joshua fit the battle of, right? We remember that, right? Do you also remember that God told them that that city was to never be rebuilt again? It was to lay in destruction because it was like a first fruits offering that the Lord said, I'm destroy this city. I've done it for you. I've given you the victory. Don't ever rebuild this one, but everything else in this land, every city, every house, I have given it all to you. And they were to leave it there. Joshua even made a declaration. He said, if anybody ever rebuilds this city, it'll be at the cost of his firstborn. Well, you know what happened a few hundred years later? A guy decided to rebuild the city and he killed his own son and he put him in the concrete foundation when he built the wall. The prophetic word came through. If you ever build it, it'll be at the cost of your son. And he did it because he was dedicating it for his own honor and for his own glory. What's interesting to me is that's where Jesus was headed. He's walking with the crowd to Jericho. Jericho wasn't supposed to be there. Those people weren't supposed to be there. And it's on a way to a place that wasn't even so supposed to be there, to people that weren't supposed to be there, that a couple of blind gentlemen cry out for healing and, gives them he and, and God gives them healing. This to me is so amazing because God will go to places where we're not supposed to be, doing things that we're not supposed to be doing, and he will go there and bring us miracles that we could have never imagined receiving. How many of you have ever been in places you shouldn't be? Three, thank you for your honesty. The youth group is honest. I've been working diligently with them this fall, and they're, thank you for the honesty. I appreciate it. How many of you have ever been doing things you shouldn't be doing? 
Okay, all right, yeah. Okay, any adults want to share your testimony? No, you're pointing at others. Thank you for, yeah. yes, yes, she has. Okay, I get it. Aren't you thankful that he didn't turn his back on you when you turned your back on him? That you were in places where you shouldn't have been, that he still came to you? Where are you going with this, PB? It's pretty simple. In one moment, his presence brought Lazarus back from the dead. In one moment, his presence healed a lady that had been sick for 12 years. In one moment, at a place that shouldn't have even been there, two blind men had their eyes open. One moment in the presence of Jesus changes everything. May we keep living it, teaching it, fighting for it. Sometimes we have to fight for God's presence in the local church because we can get caught up with everything else. Number three, all of us house God's spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says this. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We don't allow negative speak about our bodies in the Riley household. We just don't allow it. God paid a heavy price for this body. Okay? And I realize that my GQ shoot isn't until next March. And I have a lot of work to do to be ready for that. Um, then again, with all the Photoshopping that's available, I'm probably good to go right now. You put me with the right Photoshop person, come on, I'll change the world. Can I get a hallelujah? Okay? We don't allow negative speak. We don't look in the mirror and say, my eyes are to this, my hair is to that, my face is to, we don't do that. God made us, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. If he liked the same sizes, we'd all be the same size. He likes a variety. I mean, have you ever walked through the mall and went, wow, he likes a variety? <laughs> have you ever went through Walmart and went, thought, dear father, you like things that I never thought you would like? Okay. How do you know that our God made the platypus? You ever seen that thing? That creature doesn't know if it belongs on water or land. It doesn't know. It's so confused. How do you know that, that the platypus is virtually blind? It's my theory that that's the only reason that platypi mate. Because if a platypus could really see another platypus, they would have been extinct a long time ago. All right, unless, unless they had a heavy drink, you know, I <laughs> I'm just checking your history. That's all, I'm just checking your history. Check, check your beer goggles at the door. I'm just kind of trying to find out where we are around here, okay? We house the Holy Spirit. Our lives matter. Our bodies matter. They're temples. Uh, let me remind, this is so crazy. I, you probably don't know this, but the Corinthian church, did you know there were men in that church? It's true, Marshall. Did you know there were women in that church? Destiny, Diva, there were teens in that church. I know it's crazy. There were children, there were boys and girls, there were Jews and Gentiles. What are you saying, Pastor Brad? I'm saying that this letter that we read in adult services all the time wasn't just for adults, it was for everybody. You realize we're raising a powerhouse in those back rooms right now? that are learning to walk in the authority of the Holy Spirit and that they carry the presence of Jesus and they can change the world. You're never too young and you're never too old. Think about it. Number one, when God pours his spirit out, he doesn't hold it back from anyone who calls upon him. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. 
male, female, slave, free, doesn't matter. Number two, our children are not too young to carry the fullness of the Spirit. Are you thankful for that? And number three, his presence is available for his people and we're not too old or too young to receive his best. We're just simply not too old or too young to receive his best. I want you to know, you're not, you're not so old that, you're, that you can't be used by God right now. He can, full, he can fill you with the fullness of his Holy Spirit. Pastor Aaron, how old is Pastor Cal from Fargo, North Dakota? Mid-60s? I think so. Mid-60s. Pastor Cal Thompson, right? Cal Thompson, look him up on Facebook. Pastor Cal has been a youth director for his entire ministry, and he is in his 60s. And I want you to know, when I was at youth camp, Everybody was following Pastor Cal. He carries an anointing. Now, obviously, when you're in your mid-60s, you're long past trying to be cool. Now you know there's no cool, because cool's not even cool anymore. But they, man of prayer, man of integrity, a man that believes God's still raising up Timothy's. And I want you to know, the reason there's always hope for the world, no matter what's going on in our political system and the different governments and the nations that are raging, there is always hope because there are always Timothys that are being brought up. There are always sons and daughters learning to walk in the fullness of Christ. You guys, weren't you in Florida at General Council? When did you go over and make blankets at their station as well? I mean, look at connections. Look at, it's just amazing. There are always sons and daughters being raised up and there are always more coming behind, being raised up that can be used for the glory of the kingdom. This word is for all of us. Number four, he gave us his authority to give it away. Ooh, I've got two more points. We've got to speed up. He gave us his authority to give it away. Matthew 10, 7 through 8. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. That's his powerful. And one of the foundation stones of Faith Chapel is we actually are, we believe that we have the authority of heaven that's been given to us. How, how can I confidently walk into a room and say the kingdom of heaven has come near? You know how I can do that? Because first of all, I know that my body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I know that everything that he did, he's given me the opportunity to do. And so the reason the kingdom of heaven has come near, are you ready for this craziness? It's because I just came here. And when you walk into a room, the kingdom of heaven just walked into the room. Because that's who you are. That's what you carry. Had the privilege this week of, of praying with someone at Jason's Deli and watching them receive healing. How crazy is that? Yeah, God can heal us at the altar. God can heal us at Jason's Deli. And that's a really great place to go and have a sandwich. I just want to mention that. They're not giving me any kickback. Have you ever had the Reuben the Great there? I strongly encourage you to go and have the Reuben the Great. Don't order it as a half. You can't order a sandwich called the great and get half of it. That doesn't make sense. Then it's Reuben the good or it's Reuben the okay. You have to get the full Reuben the great. Proclaim this message. I, I really believe this. I believe that every one of you carry the authority of the Lord and we just need to step into giving it a shot. We just need to try it. Take a swing. Number five, last thing I have for today. Hard to believe, right? 1230, we did it. Last thing for today. It's not compassion if it doesn't move us. It's not compassion if it... I asked the youth group a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, what are some of PB-isms? 
And Miriam Skiba said, it's not compassion if it doesn't move you. It's my favorite Greek word. Daniel Arnold, what's that Greek word? Splognizomai. Come on, he's listening back there. He's smoking, but he's listening. I'm just kidding. I just called Carrie to have, Carrie's having heart palpitations right now. He's not. It's chewing tobacco. Um, Mark, <laughs> just playing. For those of you on the web stream, you should be here. Mark chapter 6, verse 34 says, when Jesus landed, not because he had been flying, but he had crossed over the Sea of Galilee in a boat, landed, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. This word compassion in the Greek is spagnizomai. Spagnizomai. It's, it, it, it has become, it's in my top five of Greek words because Sophia knows my favorite Greek word. What's my favorite Greek word? <laughs> what was that? Basilia. Okay. All right. You're not grounded now. <laughs> Basilia. Authority, kingdom. Second favorite, spagnizomai, bowel movement. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Wow, so Jesus had a bowel movement after he got off the boat. How many of you have ever had a bowel movement after you got off a boat, right? So it's very, lip. no, that's the word to have compassion and the word bowel movement are the same word, okay? I know it's funny. But it's the same word. And you have to remind yourself, the Jews believe that, that it's in your belly is where the center of your emotions are, right? From your own belly, what happens? Rivers of living water flow. So, that, I mean, your inner man's here. How many of you have ever had a gut feeling about something? You're like, ooh, I just feel it, and I know, I know. How many of you have ever seen injustice, and it turned your stomach? You're like, that's wrong. That's just not right. That splognizomai ready to be released, okay? Jesus, I won't take too much time on this, but the context of this is amazing to me. Jesus had found out that his cousin John the Baptist had been killed. Jesus was trying to get away. How many ever just say, I just need a minute to myself? And then you mistakenly take the mobile phone with you, Right? Jesus just needed a minute, but he didn't get it because he carried such authority and compassion and beauty that people were always drawn to him, right? I mean, sinners like to be around Jesus. Broken people like to be around Jesus. How about you? Do they like to be around you? Do they like to be around me? Jesus lands. He's ready to have a little solitude, but he sees the, he sees the crowd. He didn't say to them, guys, not a good day. Just, it's just not going to work for me to, no. He was splognizomide. He was moved. He, he had to do something about it. God helped Faith Chapel to be a church of compassion. We have to do something about it. We have to stand against injustice. I'm so thankful that we sponsor 125 orphans every single day from Faith Chapel but I want to see that become 250. And then I want to see it become 500. I'm believing for the day that Faith Chapel sponsors 1,000 orphans on a daily basis.
I mean, come on. It's not compassion if we don't do it. And sometimes we'll make ourselves feel better for feeling bad. Have you ever felt better for feeling bad? You see something that's wrong and it makes you feel bad and you feel good about yourself that you felt bad about the bad situation, but you still didn't do anything. And then we'll judge other people for not feeling as bad as we do because we feel worse, so we, are, we, we have even a greater sensitivity, and then we judge them for not doing anything, though we're not doing anything. Jesus always did something. He always did something. He had compassion. I'm done. Here's a couple of thoughts. Compassion is demonstrated through movement always. Always. As Christ followers, may we be people of compassion. When I think about Faith Chapel, I'm just an under-shepherd here. And when I think about Faith Chapel, I think, may we value the presence of God more than we value anything else. And because we do, may we have the audacity to believe that all it takes is one moment in the presence of Jesus to change everything. Let's believe for that. Let's know that. Let's also believe that we actually have the authority that can be used to change the world for his glory and for his honor. Let's be moved with compassion because we house the very spirit of God. Let's do it. Amen? Amen.